Welcome to the Gray Report, fellow multifamily investors, market junkies, anyone that's trying to you know understand what's going on in the commercial real estate market. Again, active, passive, maybe you're in the industry. We've got a really great um, episode today, going to be looking into some of the trends to look out for as we approach the new year, 2024. So whether you are watching this during Christmas holiday season or just after the new year, kind of get some insights on what to expect as the next 12 months um, unroll and what surprises they may have in store. Well, we don't know, but you know we're gonna try to take some educated uh, guesses look at some pieces, some, some really smart outlets, most of the time, as well as some of our own, I don't want to call necessarily predictions, but I guess, again, educated insights of what the new year may bring. All right, let's get into it. All right, bringing it in. Welcome back to The Great Report, joined again by Dr. Matt Bosnagel, Director of Communications and Marketing here at Great Capital in the Great Capital Studios in Frosty, Indianapolis, Indiana. Yeah. Matt, we are on the precipice of not only Christmas, uh, I believe the end of Hanukkah, mm -hmm. um, but also the new year, all kinds of great holidays, Boxing yeah. Day, Kwanzaa, etc. Everyone's putting out articles on what to look out for in 2024 yeah. predictions trends um i i put my own list together it's not really com completed yet but I, I shared around the office just some things to be looking out for a couple of different categories but also some pieces from cbre their u.s real estate market outlook for 2024 marks a millichap on a video what to expect for cre in 2024 and a piece from fannie may multi multi-family values not driven solely by rent growth interesting piece on again we're looking at what to expect next year in rent growth but also kind of look back on some of the cap rates can you believe if you take the real cap rate on some of the acquisitions that took place in 21 22 negative real cap rates even as low as negative four percent cap rates how does that make sense how do you get a negative cap rate We'll get there in just a second. You're just going to have to keep watching the video. Make sure that you have subscribed to the Gray Capital YouTube channel if you want to make sure you're getting all the updates on what's going on in the multifamily industry from a handful of multifamily experts. I bought over 10,000 multifamily units. Matt's been involved in the acquisition of a couple thousand as well here at Gray Capital. And every single week, we are breaking it down. Doggedly following. Doggedly. <laughs> so, Matt, you just have been going through all these different pieces, yep. predictions. We're going to get into the individuals, but like yep. sum, it, sum it up. What is the year to come? I mean, there's a I mean, interest rate of Jerome Powell last week, which yep. we can get to yep. our episode last week, mm -hmm. which we did right before the Fed's announcement, which we basically were like, yep. we know he's not going to raise rates or kind of there's a nothing burger. We're not even going to watch it before we record. And all yep. of a sudden he's like three rate uh, decreases in 2024, most likely. So, wow, were we, did we miss that opportunity? But so what, what's going on? Well, I what think do you expect gave, for this year? I, what was interesting in that one, like when he announced those three rate cuts in 2024, I don't think that anyone was thinking that there wouldn't be. Like uh, there are a lot of them, a lot of people in the market were already expected. He just gave voice. Well, to you know, yeah, he's, what everyone has said is, you know, he said the quiet part out yeah, loud. I'm yeah. just acknowledging it as opposed to being like, yeah, we all know kind of where things are. 
yeah. like we talked about last week where how rents are such mm-hmm. a lagging indicator. They know, yeah. but he can't say it because that would give the market a green light. Mm-hmm. The market took it as a huge green light. They were already accelerating. I mean, it was, they just, it was like, Phil was already on the gas. They just pumped yep. the nitro in there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, maybe like a little bit of a delay, it's the questions of, well, why would we be lowering rates? Yeah. And looking at all these technical factors of saying, well, we'd be lowering rates because we'd be in a recession. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we're going to look at some charts and you know, maybe or, heading in that or, direction. Or, 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 we, or we lower rates because it's a perfectly soft landing. That's yeah. the other. <laughs> Exa- yeah, exactly. Just perfect and just easing it, easing it yeah. down nice and easy. Yeah. We don't know. How many times has a recession been called over the last couple of years? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a blo- broken clock. It's going to be right at some point. It's yeah. a matter of when, not if. Again, the technicals have been wrong multiple, multiple times. We're going back to the same textbooks. Yeah. So, like, I'm not convinced either way. I think it could make sense that we'd have a recession. I could also mm-hmm. see that it could, we could have to stretch this out much, you know, longer period yeah. of time, like we were talking about. But, Again, just summarize, just real quick. Yeah, I'm just, gonna give just, you just the, real. I, I give us the breakdown. This. I've got like you, a one line summary mind. of each thing. Uh, so I've got you, you know, know summarize I've, it. Not just the. I, I want to like you know what's going to happen in 2024, man. Oh, so um, I think that it's going to be a little bit better than people think. Okay. Um, but so so no no recession. Yes, downturn and maybe a little bit more rent growth than people think. Mm. Um, so because, hold on. So no no you you say no recession, mm-hmm. but a slowdown. Mm-hmm. You called it a downturn, but like. But yeah. that's facilitating that soft landing and nice easing yeah. into it. And not even like a technical recession, um, but things are going to slow down. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little bit of su- surprise in rent growth. Is that what you said? Yeah, in the latter half, I think it'll it'll start because it's like an action. They, they've been low so much and they've been just decelerating so much for so long. Yeah. Um, it would be unless, the only reason why they would go lower is if it was... Uh, a huge recession. A lot of what 2024 mm. is dependent on is going to be how the economy falls. Um, and th- that's true every year, but it just seems particularly up in the air where yeah. this economy is going. And before, you know, maybe rent growth could be independent, but it just seems like we're in a little bit of a, or a little more sensitive to greater yeah. economy. You know, that, that all makes sense. Again, I'm reminded of last year when mm. everyone was penciling in a recession, well, in Q4 of 2022, Two, you know, which the last year around this time where they're okay, now it's going to be in first quarter. Like we're going to be in recession for sure. Mm-hmm. Similar um, degrees of certainty that is surprising. So I on think those types of calls. that regardless of what, you know, technically if we are in a recession or not, it's going to feel pretty bad around the middle of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and like whatever it is, because because you've seen how much there was spin on the economic conditions in 2023 mm-hmm. when it wasn't really, you know, the numbers weren't saying that it was uh, doing bad, but they had this vibe session or, or whatever, yeah. you know, or the you know, consumer sentiment was was not doing well. And um, I think that it's easy to listen to the negative voices about the economy. And there are all these leading indicators, especially now this is apart from sentiment, mm-hmm. but there's all these leading indicators that are that have said that recession's coming or a downturn's coming. And it has been crazy how much GDP has defied. It, this is the conference board. They have the leading indica- indicators, but GDP has been chugging along at the defiance of mm-hmm. these leading yeah. indicators for for better part of a year. Yeah. So I, I think that, again, it'll be 
really dark and that may be the buying time is when is when we hit these doldrums where asset values do go down because there's real pain that happens but um and at the same time it's going to probably coincide with a lot of pressures that individual multifamily syndicators and owners and borrowers are feeling well it's the operational performance positive and negative or good or bad doesn't always correspond with um the market doing good or bad Mm -hmm. cap rates being up or down and because what you know, but what I was going to ask you and, and getting into the multifamily and real estate, really just specifically multifamily is, you know, we're talking about recession yeah. right now and a downturn, slowdown, but the stock market has been on a tear, you mm-hmm. know, really for the year, but again, but the last like month and month or two, but then once Jerome Powell came out last week and said, Hey, you know, rates are going down. I mean, that poured fuel on the fire because yeah. you know that discount, if that idea is the discount rate is going to go down, it's easier to borrow, borrow money. Deals are going to make more sense. Uh, I mean, just monetary policy is going to be looser, maybe not loose, but looser, or the idea that's getting looser, Mm -hmm. that we've made that pivot, we're going the other direction, because the risk was, you know, again, how do we do deals that go into real estate? How do you do do deals when you don't know where the interest rate's going to be? Now, that's dangerous when the rate's going up, if the trend is going up, Mm -hmm. because a deal that worked one day to a couple days later you know, the rates have moved, the deal doesn't work. But if the rates are going down, it has the opposite effect. All of a sudden the deals are getting better. Yeah. And so what we're seeing in the market is people are realizing that the prices, you know, not on everything, but Mm -hmm. on a lot of assets have come down from the peak and Mm -hmm. they're being, they're trading at, you know, 20 to 30% discounts relative to, you know, what they're trading at a couple of years ago, whether that's based on a price per door or on a cap rate, but mm-hmm. like there's some relative deals, the challenges, the performance right now, because of supply is so weak that, you know, that there's a discount on the deals, yep. but the growth, at least the short-term growth looks kind of, it's very mediocre at best. And so from like an underwriting perspective, you're putting these deals together, you know, and the, the basis of what kind of what you're buying it for seems to be really attractive. It seems like you're getting a good deal. But the returns don't really jump out on the paper because no one that's trying to come off as somewhat reasonable is going to use any sort of aggressive rent growth. If any rent growth at all, we're going to talk about there's some projections for additional more negative rent growth next year. Mm-hmm. If anyone has ever built a model that has growth that's compounding, you know, a negative number does not, I mean, it doesn't help at all. It, 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 you can't hit the returns that an investor would anticipate with you know those kinds of assumptions and so it's it's taking an investor to have to step out on a ledge a little bit more speculate a little bit yep. which you know you're always speculating to a degree but then the, there's risk in it of yep. saying i do like i it's not happening today but rent growth is going to turn around mm-hmm. and it hasn't happened yet but if interest rates come down cap rates are going to come down and so it creates a scenario of where and, and this is like just me speaking like personally like my gut sees their trajectory of the next couple of years being really um, exciting for multifamily investors with some really great returns buying now but it's really kind of hard to project that on paper and you have to invest with more than your gut you got to invest you know someone empirically yeah although you know i think the the best investors probably use a little bit of a little bit of both. Well, that's what I—that's what I was thinking actually when I was trying to uh, trying to measure what the 
capital markets activity might be, you know, this year. That was one of the big stories of this year, aside from huge apartment supply, was low apartment sales volume. Is that going to change next year? Yeah. And I wondered, a part of me thinks that Q1 is going to come. There are going to, the, there's going to be just a slice of the stock market enthusiasm yeah. where people were buying, predicting rates lower. Maybe some multifamily investors are like, well, that makes me kind of want to buy because I think the market's at bottom and I think rates are going to go down. So might as well buy now. I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, that's, I, I've just you know been raising capital for mm -hmm. you know a decent amount of time and through different kind of market situ situations and different kind of cycles. Yeah. And I mean, you know, comparing last year when the market, you know, beginning of last year, because we often have you know conversations with investors at the beginning of the year. If you'd like to have a conversation with us, book a meeting, get in touch with myself or Blake Peroni, talk about your goals if you're a credit investor, um, kind of plans for the year, our plans, etc. And you know, I remember in you know. 2021 or the it was um so it would be january um yeah it was january 21 and everyone no january 22 yeah everyone you know the stock market had grown you know quite a bit and everyone was excited ready to go make some moves mm -hmm. like want to invest in a lot of deals then the stock market started really taking a hit and declining and that mood shifted you know quite a bit yeah and, and then you know last year uh in january had some conversations it's much more of a wait and see, see mentality. Mm -hmm. And people are saying, well, you know, I had this extra, all this extra money from, I had all these gains from stocks. I didn't sell, yeah. well, now that all those gains have been wiped away, what I was going to sell and use those proceeds to invest, no longer an option. Now people are kind of back in that, that boat of like, oh, wow, I'm sitting on all these gains. Um, but again, you know, if you're looking at the idea of there might be a recession in a couple months or mm -hmm. six months, that could change on a dime as well. But the crazy thing is, that's probably going to be the absolute best time to invest. Because yeah. like if there's going to yeah. be a bottom, that's when it's going to be. It's mm -hmm. going to drag things down even further. So the best deals are going to happen. It's it's when it's going to look the darkest and the yeah. most bleak, but like the best time to buy. And that's what I was wondering, you know, and this is again, looks like an imaginary trajectory, but like, so people get a little excited in Q1 before a downturn really starts to bite. And there's a little bit of a wave of mm -hmm. excited investment and then things start really going down and, and the psychology of a downturn takes, it takes effect a little bit more. Um, people I, get scared. I mean, people just yeah. get scared nervous because it's mm -hmm. you know the unknown and how bad could it get it never gets as bad as people think yeah. it's going to be but it, it it is super interesting you know how how volatile so the stock market will just react to anything and and if they did react to lower rates if there is a commensurate reaction in the multifamily market or even in just their attitudes and their plans on investing next year i i just think that it's a lot harder to convince a multifamily investor maybe because uh their spreadsheets doesn't don't work yeah and yeah. uh it's a little bit more connected to you know the the setup. But. So might not be a bad idea. Sell stocks beginning end of this year, beginning of next year, roll yeah. into some multifamily. Yeah. Not investing advice, just entertainment. <laughs> um Matt, you want to go to some of these charts that you have? Do you want to go in one right? Yeah, yeah. I, I did want to so well it it it'll help kind of explain my take on the economy, which I which I'll fly through here really quickly because um, I described a little bit uh, about the narrative that that I think is going to happen here. And and one of the things is, uh, yeah, it, we may have a downturn. It may be even, but I think that the dominant consumer sentiment is going to be that the economy is doing poorly. Um, you, what we have up here is the difference between uh, party or the. It is party affiliation and consumer sentiment. So, what did Democrats think when a Republican was president? They didn't think 
the economy was doing great and vice versa for Republicans. Right now, uh, a Democrats and president uh, is the president and Republicans don't think the economy is doing well. That that being said, it, that it's these, a little bit of a nauseating chart just to be like, the, I mean, it's, it's, just it's what we know. I, it's yeah. exactly what you would think it would be. But it's just to, to see and to know that people aren't, you know, are I know. Using, not using actual judgment. It's yeah. just, you know, who's in the office and it's their team. Yeah. They're collecting a bigger paycheck, but then they're, you know, they're going on to describe uh, a bunch of, you know, things that, that, that really, really make them mad about the yeah, economy. You know, just folks that are listening to the podcast, just like describe the chart a little bit, you know, it shows you know, the, the consumer sentiment of Democrats, independents, Republicans, and then the average overall. And as you can imagine, when Trump was in office, you know, the Democratic uh, consumer Senate, uh, the Democrat consumer sentiment was pretty relatively low, kind of in the 60 to 80 percent range, while Republicans was like in the 120 range. And then, you know, as the election goes on, it's interesting. The crossover is uh, oh, OK. Well, it's in November. So it's right. After literally the election. R- right. When yeah. the, basically the day after the election, there's a big crossover and then consumer sentiment on the Democratic side goes up to, you know, peaks at 100 and then kind of is slowing down around 80 because, you know, things haven't been going that great. But then if, obviously, as you can imagine, Republican sentiment dropped down really before um, even the election. It really kind of started at the yeah. beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense just because generally the whole world was shut down and everyone was like, well, uh, WTF, what's, what, yeah. what is happening, even though my guy may be in office? Um, so, you know, if there's a change in the guard, we're going to see a shift. But, uh, wow. Yeah. I think these motivations will only get more uh, more aggressive, more, uh, more uh, persuasive, I guess. And you're going to see a lot more people being persuaded, I think, by a negative view, just because that's, that's getting the headlines. And that's what we've seen in 2023. So, Absolutely. Uh, so I think that it's it, that this is just going to be a heightened factor that is definitely uh, worth watching next year. Now, um, another uh, another factor is this in this uh, is job creation. Yeah. Now, uh, I said a mild downturn. Well, uh, one of the reasons why I think it might be a downturn instead of like growth or just like stability is there is a short term. There has been a kind of short term drop in in job openings. Right now, we are getting about to the level where long term trends where it would align with long term trends outside of the pandemic. But I think we're going to overshoot that or, or I guess undershoot it. Yeah. Where in which jobs will be less. <laughs> yeah, less jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that the job situation is going to be a little bit worse worse next year um, before it gets better and before it reverts to the mean. That being said, there's no, you know, no one's really raising alarm bells. They're like, well, we're approaching norms, which is true, but uh, you can't ignore the fact that we're g- going down and things don't just flatten out in a dime. There's usually like a counter reaction and it kind of uh, yeah. bubbles up. And, uh, and, uh, to bring up the other graph that I had is these leading economic indicators um, are also really well aligned with the expectation of, uh, at the very least, a downturn. There is such a sharp difference between the expectation. Um, now, just looking at this, looking at this graph here, you this is for our listeners that may not be able to see the graph. You can see how um, the leading economic indicators, as uh, as collected by the conference board, the line goes down, and then the line for GDP goes down. There's a pretty strong correlation between these leading indicators that lead the performance of the overall economy, and that's happened in all. You know, you can track it through this progression from 2000 to well now. Now is different. The leading economic indicators are plunging down and real GDP is plugging along. 
it's not doing amazing, but it's definitely not going down. And and it is such a divergence between not only the absolute level of uh, of this um, of the le- leading economic indicator and GDP, but but just the trajectory. I, yeah, and the I, way I can't that explain it, it. And, the, and the amount, I guess, the velocity of declines of the LEI lead economic indicator, leading mm-hmm. economic indicator. Um, again, the, the velocity um, is, you know, only relative to past recessions, um, mm-hmm. whether it's the dot com crash and recession in 2001, uh, the GFC in 08 and 09, um, or even the pandemic back in good old 2020. Um, you know, I guess the, we're not as far down as True. any of those, mm-hmm. um, but you know they're all at different levels. So it, it, I don't know if that much says much, but it's not like in you know the other times where it's gotten even. Cl- I mean, the only other example where it's even you know dipped to be negative, and it's negative what seven ish right now or wherever that is between. I don't, yeah. I don't know if it shows the individual number of just trying to interpret the graph, but you know back in twenty. You know, 16 or so, you know, it dipped negative for a minute there, but it was, mm-hmm. you know, just a little dip below the line. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty big, you know, shift downward. Can you explain, Matt, mm-hmm. um, what the LEI, the leading? So they do have a breakdown. Indicator is. Part of their, um, there is like a financial breakdown and financial components and non-financial components. The financial ones are, they take the leading credit index, the S&P 500 index of stock prices and the interest rate spread of 10-year T-bonds less Fed funds rate. And then the non-financial components, a lot of this is average consumer expectations for business condition, conditions, which is kind subjective. of subjective, subjective yeah. sentiment, consumer sentiment kind of stuff. But there is some real, uh, a real concrete measurement building permits yeah building permits hours manufacturing Mm -hmm. and then like the index of new orders um so there are lots of there's lots of commercial activity that's tracked here that uh even if you took apart people's bad feelings about the economy these indicators would still be negative uh i i wonder you know there people are going to study this and see why why it's off although it's worth noting that the leading economic indicators in every single downturn those went down far more sharply than the gdp ever went down so it's a little bit more volatile anyways I, I'm still, it's still surprising how different it is though. One's going down, the other's going up. It didn't yeah. predict it. Yeah. And let's just, the, the shift is that quickly. And, you yeah. know, I guess the difference between um, now and previous periods is, you know, obviously the pandemic, but also, yeah. you know, this is the first kind of inflationary period that we've had. And True. so, you know, some inflation can drive job, you know, some GDP growth. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it, it could make sense for the times, but really, really fascinating stuff, Matt. And I'm glad that you brought that brought yeah. that to our attention um you want to go back you want to let's uh i i kind of want to talk a little bit about multi about capital markets and multifamily now i i have two notes for the capital markets i do i did describe this small and brief boost in sales activity mm-hmm. maybe in early 24 maybe some hopes and then it'll get down and then and then and then there may be you know following the downturn uh there may be less less activity but i wonder the the big question mark here is how much are multifamily owners and borrowers going to be forced to sell um so we may see some of these did extensions you, did you hear matt did you read about the no. um lenar no i did not sale um i think it th- i think it's like 20 10 10,000 units or so. I think it's like $4 billion worth of uh, multifamily real estate that they're going to be selling, mostly wow. in the, in the Sunbelt. 
wow. just raise money. So, um, and so, it's you know, it's uh, now, I guess, I don't have all the details. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily know. Um, I have any reason to believe that those like, the properties are distressed. Um, but I mean, the one thing is we should get some serious price discovery yeah. and some volume. I mean, that's a that's a good chunk of volume mm-hmm. right there. Now, will it all sell? It's got to be broken up. It's just they're intending to sell it. But, you know, there is some movement on on that front, again, yeah. without much color it's on. It's like, so interesting how, you know, because of the, the amount of assets that some of these companies hold, one single event, you know, that's just one headline. And you think, oh, it's just an anecdote. But that can have a really, uh, uh, it can characterize the market. Yeah, no, and we know some, you know, REITs are going to be selling some assets at a loss, mm-hmm. at, at a loss, just to you know, kind of deleverage their portfolio, right size some of their other deals, just do some kind of strategic portfolio repositioning. Um, again, because if you wow. have a lot of assets, you know, maybe you can afford to sell a couple at a loss, but mm-hmm. you still get that cash back, and you can pay down some other debt, buy some new rate yeah. caps. Um, you know, get a better credit raising rating, go raise some more money and mm-hmm. buy some new deals. And, you know, those losses, you know, okay, maybe it's not that big of a deal if you have a large enough portfolio. Yeah, I think that that I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Shouldn't um, think of it that way. These but. well, these pressures are going to continue too because, you know, rent growth, it may not see that bump or things may not improve until the year rolls on um, until kind of later in the year. So it's going to be continued pressure. Uh, in Q1 especially, and and uh, that like you said, it may be the darkest when the when the opportunity comes. So for the dawn, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and speaking of rent growth, and I'm just going to fly through my prediction for rent growth. I think we get to two percent by the end of the year. Um, we'll we'll go over other uh, predictions, uh, um, but that's a that's balancing stagnation on the on f- the. H1 and and then a little bit more growth in, in the second. Any half. insights on to, because, you know, obviously real estate's so local, the national number, it's like yeah. it, uh, it tells us more than nothing. But, you know, I, I, the Midwest and the Northeast have been kind of uh, the strong performers mm-hmm. um, this year um, with the Sun Belt um, not doing as hot, yeah. especially. Um, any change to that narrative, I, I guess? I don't think, uh, at least, and in, in I would. Is it still so supply driven and the supplies come online in those same places yeah, or yeah, not as much more. in the I, same places? I think even more. I think it's going to exacerbate the differences between places like the Northeast and Midwest or like the hot markets and non-hot markets. Sunbelt plus Boise kind of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like uh, these these places that got a, uh, an enormous amount of new apartments, they're still being built mm-hmm. and it's going to still be distributed in the same like geez like top seven markets or whatever um that it, it could be an interesting moment where where we see some really diverging rent growth trends at least in the short term and then you know no one's going to build their tent for 10 years or or, mm. or they'll just keep building i don't know <laughs> i think some are going to keep building I've had some conversations with merchants merchant developers recently yeah. that are decently well capitalized and um I, you know i asked them i was like hey, are you guys holding off and they're like well you know we're not actually, you know, on the projects that we already had moving forward, we're going full steam ahead because it's their belief and which is also, we've echoed this belief also mm-hmm. that they're like, hey, look, we're looking to deliver in, you know, mid 25, 26. We think that's going to be a perfect time because no one else is going to be delivering then. Yeah. Like, well, that's the second merchant de- developer that said that. So maybe some of other people will, but just what we're looking at from starts and permits yeah. that should really thin out. Um, you know, really in 2025, as we get close to 26. That's interesting. I was talking, yeah. I was talking to one builder and was like, yeah, we, we build all, all over the place. And, you know, if I had money, I would, I would look into investing in Phoenix. Cause as the builder said that the builder said that in a, in almost like, yeah, they just 
got dumped on. Mm-hmm. They got a bunch of new supply dumped in there, and rent growth is low. So maybe you do get a discount because of the oversupply. For sure. And you yeah, it back yeah, up. you're getting big discounts right now. Yeah, it's a good. It, it's you know, it, there's a sales going on right now. Yeah, that's just. Um, yeah, kind of buyer beware. You kind of get what you, you can get what you pay for. But if you have a if you have um, confidence uh, that you're we're going to see some growth, mm-hmm. we're going to finally see some rent growth at some point again. So maybe it's you could you're going to get the timing wrong. Maybe it's next yeah. year. Maybe it's two years from now. But the kind of the general idea of we're going to see some growth at some point because yeah. there's going to be supply. So the amount of supply is going to be coming down, and if interest rates are coming down. Maybe mm-hmm. refinance. Maybe you you know are able to yeah. bring some cash yeah. out. Um, and if interest rates come down, you know cap rates are going to be coming down too. Mm-hmm. And I guess you know we're above five percent typically on average, even though a lot of deals are trying to trade around five percent. Mm-hmm. I can see us, and I think right now I see deals more in the six percent range, or that's where like most people think that they should be. Yeah. Not that their deals are deals are still trading sub five right now, but I I can see us, you know, kind of peaking. Mm-hmm. Six mid sixes maybe on some deals, and then getting back to that five percent if interest yeah. rates behave, and if in that environment, um, you know the things look completely different. But it's yeah. again, it's hard to you can put it on paper, mm-hmm. but it's you know it, it, it's more speculative than well, your typical. And that's what I was wondering process. when I when I wondered about like, well, are multifamily investors as as ready to jump in on like the possibility of lower rates, like the stock market, or do some they are, really some need are. the reality? Some are, man. Yeah, that's shaky because because and you can correct me, but like you put your offer in and it's still a, a month or so maybe before you kind of lock in the rates. So you're you are in a sense kind of yeah. trying to predict the future. But yeah, but that's dicey. Yeah, yeah, it is. Again, you don't want to really be I mean, the you can make a lot of money by timing things, but um, I've learned that people aren't good at timing things. Yeah, it's it's way you can you can be right on the, the direction. Yeah, like that. That's not that hard. I mean, that, that's not always easy, but that's not always difficult. But getting the timing right, it's like yeah, yeah. I think there's more. Uh, you know, some people have gotten it right, but a lot of times there's it's a lot of luck. I know the time, the thing, the times that I have timed it right, mm-hmm. um, I take it to more of happenstance and maybe being in the right place, kind of at the right time. I guess if we were in the right place, yeah. But like the time can't we can't really take credit for. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's tough. There's yeah, plenty of things we've timed wrong. Also, sure. So I that's why I don't trade options anymore. I did that for <laughs> you know like a minute, and I was like, this is like not for me. I need for- it's too much math, and yeah. I am not in it every single second. Yeah. Like I am multifamily. Yeah. It's like, I don't understand this well enough. Now, so having talked about those, I, and I've read through yours. I was wondering, and a lot of the ideas are crypt from discussions with you and, yeah. you know, for, through things that, that you've said, but you've also come up with a set of predictions. And and I want to know, is there any, you know, is there anything I missed in broad brush or is there uh, or is there some, you know, kind of nuance or turn? I think that you had a little bit more to say about the you know, kind of capital markets and debt uh, situation that's going to happen next yeah, year. I think I was in kind of a negative mood when I wrote, <laughs> when I wrote a lot of this. I was rereading through it. I was like, I've got to find some more like positive like takes um for the new year because i think there i think there will be like a silver lining a lot of this and we're yeah. going to see a lot of the pivots and upside and a lot of this is like just what the stuff that may have to happen before we can mm-hmm. really see great opportunities probably want to be on the leading edge of it and right before but you know i kind of broke down i guess you know, kind of predictions outlook things to really look out for gaps yeah. we, uh, we don't really know but just things that i have on top of my mind i broke it down into kind of industry shifts some of the fundamentals and then 
strategies and tactics to watch and as well as some known unknowns. Yep. And so I'm not going to go through this whole thing because this is going to be in a blog post or somewhere you can go find it on the internet. Totally. You subscribe to our stuff, Instagram, LinkedIn, go to our website, greatcapitalllc.com. But um, maybe I'm just going to go over a couple of these, Matt, or if there's any that popped out to you. I think your lead up, your, these industry shifts uh, is particularly interesting and really could change how a lot of people are kind of transitioning. To yeah. And, and I don't know. And again, this is this is just kind of my gut rather than like a lot of insider information. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of conversation with industry insiders um, because like I am one, but other folks, brokers, firms, et cetera. And the first is, you know, the largest of institutional investors is, are going to set up, step up and consolidate. Um, increase our holdings of multifamily and other housing assets. So I'm talking about, you know, the Blackstones yep. of the world um, are going to see this opportunity to buy at scale because they've got the cash to do it, the discretionary cash to do it. They're going to see it as a big buying opportunity. They believe in yep. the asset class. They want to continue to allocate to hard assets. And I don't think this is a you know, big uh, you know, leap, but we're already seeing, you know, Blackstone, these buyers, you know, step in, you know, being aggressive. They're, they're well positioned. They're well capitalized. Um, and there's no reason to believe they're not going to be doing this. Yeah. And, and it's a really big way. And it's, it's really a continuing of the trend. Specifically, um, you know, th- I, and we, again, we've already seen this happen. Um, uh, big portfolio in the Austin market, a big institutional group came in um, with, I think, financing from you know pension front fund. Mm-hmm. And they basically bought the asset for the, the loan balance for the senior note. And so basically they're getting, you know, basically a 30% discount. Original investors got squeezed out. Wow. You know, there, so I mean, those types of discounts are going to be very attractive to these institutional players if they can buy at scale. I mentioned the Lennar portfolio. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be that's a perfect opportunity for these large, large groups to come in and buy thousands upon thousands of units at a time, 10,000 units at a time, just one stroke of the pen. They can do it tomorrow without mm-hmm. a blink of an eye. It's just not that big of a deal for them. Um, I say I said they're going to double down on many primary and gateway markets because a lot of those markets are they are going to see a discount. You know, we're talking about the Phoenixes, like you said. You know, maybe the Charlottes, the Austins. You mm-hmm. know, they they were they had conviction behind those markets before. Yeah, the others some supply, but if they're getting in at a discount, they can have the long term yeah. time horizon to make sense of it. I did have here. Um, that they're going to dip their toe into the Midwest. Finally, I don't think they can ignore the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I think Chicago is going to be a market that they're really going to go hard in because yeah. it's got well, the liquidity um, in the scale. They're more familiar with it. Um, but also, you know, I think markets like Columbus, um, Indianapolis, mm-hmm. um, Kansas City, you know, and St. Louis are all going to be markets that I think that you know again maybe these institutional groups that have been less active in the Midwest mm-hmm. um, are going to start slowly dipping their toe in. Um, you know, we'll, we, we shall see that yeah. that's more of my intuition rather than really knowing. And then they're, they're obviously going to be looking for opportunistic, opportunistic basis plays in the Sunbelt. Okay. Um, I think that they're going to see some discounts relative to a couple of years ago. They're going to see the long-term migration trends and say, these are going to be some great price points and entry points. Yeah. Let's take advantage of it now. Like we weren't wrong that people are moving to Florida. Mm-hmm. Maybe insurance is a little more expensive. Maybe we built a little bit too many apartments, but the long-term trend makes sense. And we're getting yeah. at a 30% discount. If we thought it made sense and we're still telling our investors a good idea, what we bought two years ago for buying at a 30% discount. How can we not say that's a good idea? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So and the next piece, and not, you don't have to go down, we don't have to go down the whole list, but um you know, I think there could be some shakeups in consolidation amongst brokers and lenders. We yep. know, especially some of the pr- so uh, publicly traded, um, you know, brokerage firms. You know, they've been lose. They have not been doing well. 
volumes are down and it could be a huge opportunity for some m a inactivity um you know or just or some consolidation and so in some mergers we'll, we'll we'll have to see what about um secondary lending like non-bank lending will institution is that going to you think that'll expand or as interest rates come down it's going to be less of a less of a big deal no i think it's going to continue to continue to trend that way um especially as maybe some of the more traditional lenders or the agencies are still going to be kind of stuck to how they can lend yeah these other lenders are going to, going to be able to step in and be attractive although most a lot of buyers i see today are still going towards the agencies but especially in the preferred equity space the debt fund space i think that's going to be playing a, a major role and i think we're going to see and this isn't in my notes maybe just somewhere but I think we're going to see a lot of acquisitions on bridge loans people yeah. being um a little bit more hmm. taking advantage of the lowering rates and the idea of that we think the rates are going to be much lower in two years let's just reset that interest rate you know in two years Yep. HUD financing may come back for similar reasons. You can do rate adjustments during mm. your HUD loan. It's attractive um, without, without really paying much money. Um, so that could be something that, that happens as well. Um, but on the, you know, I'm not going to name any specific brokers or lenders, but I really think that we could see some of that. That's um, really interesting. Before. So like big, some of these big names, some of the places maybe you know that i get reports from every month yeah wow okay and maybe even it's some brokers you know even buying you know or partnering or merging with um you know large lenders also whoa really yeah. oh dang yeah. i didn't know that oh yeah oh yeah so fundamentals matt um i did have you know meaningful distress especially in the Sun Belt. we're going to see foreclosures um with at sales of partial or total loss of equity we will see de declining interest rates are going to allow cash flowing deals kind of on the margins are going to be able to refinance. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of deals are going to be saved that are kind of, again, they're on the margins, yeah. but I think the lowering rates are going to help out a lot of folks, but there are going to, some deals are going to be just too far gone. They're mismanaged. They're just about way too high price. Those kind of negative real cap rates that we'll talk about in a second. Big surge of preferred equity, other forms of rescue capital, mezzanine debt, um, a lot of recapitalizations. Um, and again, in a lot of non-bank lenders are going to be really um, prevalent. Mm -hmm. Also, we're going to have some operational syndicators just get out of the business. Yeah, I think it's going to be, it's been difficult to buy. People are going to go under and people are just mm -hmm. going to throw the, the town in the ring. Yeah. I just think some people are just going to get out of the business. Banks are going to focus on self-preservation, not into those details, but you can understand. If I do say sales volume is going to be above average after slow 2023 i think we're going to mm -hmm. pick up i think we're going to see some price discovery halfway through the year the, the year i have here sales will pick up in q2 rush it's going to pick up in q2 and there's going to be a rush back by, by q4 yeah oh yeah so relatively sure. slow up until q2 and then you know pick up and right there at the yeah. end yeah there is a lot of pent-up investor demand and that's there is. you know that's what's like well really kind of anything could happen i know and that's the thing it's like you know things get bad but like there's so much interest now people also kind of act in as a herd and so mm -hmm. everyone can be yeah. on one minute and off the other yeah next also you know matt we we mentioned you know we're never gonna we're gonna deliver more apartments than we ever thought um throughout 2024 a lot yeah. of new supply demand's gonna be historically normal gross absorption will be you know positive hopefully but net absorption will be negative yeah yep um, I think there's going to be a relatively short period of deals before dry powder is unleashed. You know, so again, that Q2 period, I think maybe a little bit of that, that darkness yep. Yep. You know, right before the dawn and then the dawn hits and the dry powder is going to be unleashed. I say cap rates are going to top out of Q3. Again, timing bad at it, but Q3 cap rates are going to top, maybe begin to compress by Q4 or early 2025. Yeah. Um, 
support fundamentals, I think really short term, very location dependent based on supply. And I think we've got a possibility of a rent growth upside surprise. And mm-hmm. you mentioned, um, especially if deliver- deliveries fall short of their estimates, which they often not always do. So those are kind of the fundamentals. Strategies and tactics to watch. What are people going to be doing? Mm. Um, the one thing I have in the top here is lease up acquisitions, buying properties that are new construction. They've just been built. They're leasing them up right now. But the, the situation is these developers, they're on the clock. They're under a construction loan. It's for loading rate. You know, mm-hmm. it's the, maybe they're paying 8%, 9%. And they can't put permanent financing on it until they get it fully stabilized 80 90%. The buyer wants to come in during that lease up project, kind of buy it a little bit of a discount, mm-hmm. finish the lease up. You know, you close on a new bridge or construction loan, get it to 90%, you refinance, maybe your rates are lower, maybe they're, they're the same, maybe you can cash out, you bought a good asset at a decent discount. Maybe the rents are a little bit lower than you wanted it to. Mm-hmm. But if the idea is, again, they were renting them out at the rents way below market. That means yeah. you can raise rents over time. Yeah. So you're going to get your cap rate's going to be kind of artificially uh, low a little bit. So uh, you yeah. know, you know, they've been renting out at a thousand dollars a month when they know, you know, you're, you're going to get fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe uh, if you actually, you know, waited, or maybe the market's soft right now, and yeah. so it's we know we're going to get fifteen hundred in a year and a half or two years, or you're you know get high conviction rate of that. So is that so? Maybe even to. These lease up, you buy something on lease up, it's 65% full. It's not even all the way full sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So it'd be yeah. a little more risk too, though. So a lot of times that, you'll buy it at certificate of occupancy. So it's like, okay. once you get your certificate, we can go in, start leasing it up. Um, you know, depends on the building. You can go in basically, hey, it hasn't been leased up at all. We're going to take it off your hands. The bigger discount for the lease least up it is yeah if that makes sense. that's that interesting sense. no and i that it's believable because there's so much there's so much new supply and um and the you, the business of these builders is not necessarily you know, construction costs are up labor is tight yeah interest rates are up rents are down and you know developers like look i just want to be done with this give my money back move on and they're going to want to take advantage like you mentioned earlier of this sweet spot in 2025 20, 26 where maybe there's not going to be a lot of rent apartments so that so that when they're in this lease up situation again Can, it'll be super easy for them yeah no but. good good point um so another strategies and tactics tactics to watch um i have here that centralization centralizing management plans um, are going to ma- finally materialize for property management and I feel like 2023, there was a lot of talk and discussion and mm-hmm. some early implementations of kind of more centralized management operations, you know, whether that is having kind of scattered site maintenance teams and you're mm-hmm. having like a group of maintenance guys go to different sites yeah. or you're doing kind of centralized leasing or you're having calls coming to your corporate office or a call center somewhere and, you know, you're leasing, you know, from one point mm-hmm. and then, you know, you've got maybe less site staff that are focused on tours okay. or whatever idea is to be more efficient, save money, you know, costs are up all over the board. Margins are thinner than ever. How do we do this, you know, in a better way? And again, it's, it's, it's asking the question, do we need to keep doing the way that we've been doing things for decades in the multifamily mm-hmm. business, just because that's the way we've been doing it. Is yeah. there a better way with technology, with using the internet and things like that yeah a lot <laughs> so instead of like these uh and in, instead of the leasing agents 
you know, uh, let's use Forest Ridge, for example, yeah. you know, instead of like a Forest Ridge person for Forest Ridge, you are the leasing agents, you're going to give the tours, you're going to answer the phone calls. That's your job. You are at that property. Instead of one person there, it could be maybe uh, this well, guy does all I'm gonna, of the I'm going to turn this example around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you used a really good right. a, a example, I not, not in the right have, place, I, because I, Forest Ridge <laughs> doesn't have any on-site yeah, personnel. Yeah. I, I but, thought of that but, when but, I said, I was like, But man. we use it, I wouldn't call it full centralization, but it's like yeah. full centralization is like the leasing person is like maybe here in our corporate office in indianapolis mm -hmm. but this property is out in bloomington indiana just there earlier today and um but we lease out another, another property the leasing agent is based out of echo park okay and our maintenance team is based out of echo park so we have you know kind of our management team based out of one property it's a larger property has more like resources and facilities mm -hmm. but then we have teams from that property that we send over to forest ridge which is like a neighboring property yeah that we, it's not right it's not an immediate neighbor it's just kind of couple miles down the road yeah um but so like when we have a tour our leasing agent goes over to that property and does a tour if mm -hmm. we have a work order that maintenance person from echo park you know will go over there and yeah we try to batch it to make it efficient but that way we don't um have people you know just that are sitting over at forest ridge yeah, waiting for things to do yeah where it's like you know how many tours is, do you usually give a week well, it's usually less than like a dozen. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just a couple. So do you need someone physically on site to do tours yeah. if you're only doing a handful a week? Yeah. You know, probably not. And so you need someone to do the tours if you want a tour. There's also virtual tours. There's mm -hmm. self-guided tours. There's a lot of different options. But it's, you know, do we need a physical person in a chair in that office for a long period of time yeah. and if there's only and so like how much work is there to do can we split across multiple properties anyway so the, the that's that's the theory and it's been theorized a lot and if you went to any yeah. kind of operations conferences or talk about property management centralization was what everyone was talking about again driven by high payroll high expenses mm -hmm. and the advancement of technology where it's really possible now yeah we're going to see those plans be implemented as budgets for 2024 have now been finalized and are going to be implemented in 2024, rolling out that new technology. There's going to be some delays because you need some maybe staffing attrition and people yeah. will just lay their folks off. It would also seem like you would need some kind of number crunching on how to make sure that the needs of each unit or, or I'm sorry, the needs of each property is met by either like the leasing agent or the maintenance person. Like uh, if you're off on that prediction and you have, you actually have one maintenance guy less than you need, um, then, then that could be a problem. And I, and you know, the guarantee is you spend more money. You got, you have a guy there all the time, yeah. but if he's not working two days of the week, you know, all told, then that may not, that may not make sense. Yeah. It no. And, and there's no silver bullet of property yeah. management. Every site and company is a little bit different. Different, um, but I think we're going to see that really develop. You know, it's yeah. not going to be it's not going to be like done, but I think it's going to start to take form. Um, you know, we've got some talking about distress. It's going to come in a variety of flavors. Most of the real distress will be pre nineteen eighties kind of failed value add deals, mm -hmm. but that's going to be the stuff that the least amount of people are going to be interested in. Yeah, I mean, the smoke and hot deals are going to be what nobody wants. Mm -hmm. um, maybe for some good reason. Um, there will be, I believe, there's going to be a relative basis floor on stabilized B and A class deals. What mm -hmm. I mean by that is, like, there are so many people who want to buy those deals yeah. that the price are only going to get so low. They're, I think, they're a low, they're low right now. They could get a little bit lower, but they're not going to like get so low just because people want to invest in multifamily and they like it. Yeah, yeah. And they've been investors, so they know relative totally what the cost basis is. AI. Oh, I mentioned bridge loans for acquisition. We'll see a resurgence. AI, AI, artificial intelligence, 
will be I, I said will be discussed more than is than it is yep. implemented. Yep. Uh, like, right, right. We covered it last week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Midwest and I'm again I'm biased writing this, but it's the truth. The mid it's the truth. The Midwest will be in the spotlight for the first time due to relatively strong performance and fundamentals as owners burnt by the bust in the Sun Belt. It will either be like that could be true, but they could also double down like oh there's all the no no no. oh i didn't say necessarily that people will like switch to the midwest i'm just saying they're like it's gonna have it's we're gonna have our moment in yeah in the starlight you know 15 minutes of fame um and people are gonna be yeah burned by the sun belt but then they're gonna double well which which might not be a bad idea i'm not it's interesting and it may convince some people because it would be essentially two straight years of midwest outperformance and like how many years do things need to outperform before kind of competition yeah yeah maybe one more i don't know yeah yeah no the midwest domination i I just you you wouldn't think because people are like what's going on in the midwest i had yeah have conversations with people are like what what people do in the midwest Mm -hmm. i don't know what people live there and Maybe it's not for you then. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I get it. Um, it's like, you know, global warming. It's going to be a great place to live in a couple decades. Yeah, you know, this right. is like, it's got a new sunbelt. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, like, yeah. We're, like, we're in like a great spot. Like, regardless, you believe yeah. it or, you know. Anyway, um, not to go down anything <laughs> like that. Okay, no known unknowns. A lot of this banking mm. and lenders' willingness and ability to modify loans and extend and pretend. Um, currently, lenders are doing their best to work with borrowers and modify deals to make it all work and avoid distress, but volumes may reach a point where that's just unworkable. They can't work with everybody. Yep. They just don't have the option, whether it's from regulators, whether it's just, again, it's the volume. Mm-hmm. So what, what we're saying here is like we know it could be an issue, but like it, it could be the can could be effectively kicked down the road. Um, the can, the ability of can kicking uh is questionable and may not be an option if someone just grabs the can and shoves it down everybody's throat like you can't kick it at that point no you don't have a choice is that the right is that the the the, the i'm there i'm there i think i think that's totally true i my i i'm thinking like well if it's an economic downturn that's kind of probably making it harder for them there's not more liquidity yeah yeah until there is and then there's like an unlimited amount with timing get ready for that yeah um the possibility of recession is not zero as we've talked about many times in some indicators, such as what we le- looked at just today, um, say that it's even likely yeah. next year. So get yes. ready, get ready for <laughs> that. Also, get ready for not having. Don't worry, it's going to feel bad, no matter no matter what it is. It's going to feel. It's going to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> um, rising unemployment will pour. Poor, sorry, will pour cool water on a smoldering housing market dealing with historic supply increases. Um, it goes to the show the recession yeah. is going to make things good. It's going to make things really dark before the dawn. Yep. The feed. Then the next thing, the future revenue management. Mm. You know, okay, there'll be lawsuits against RealPage. Yeah. You know, um, I personally don't think they're going anywhere. You know, could they be settled in the Supreme Court mm-hmm. elsewhere? Are they going to be so? I, probably, they're these companies are going to settle. I think they're already all. They're just going to change their algorithms just to like avoid. I mean, getting clo- getting close to a perception of having some sort of price collusion scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really think though that um, it's there's more being made of it that, than really exists, and. Um, if they're price fixing or colluding, then there's a lot of industries that need to have a talking to just because they're using technology and pricing information. Yeah. We'll say that to another episode. Politics in the 2024 election, everyone's favorite um, subject for the holidays. Um, November 2024 presidential election may bring interest rates down further because, you know, need that Biden 
in the Biden economy. They'll try. Something. They're going to try, <laughs> even though, yeah. Um, housing specifically affordable and private equity ownership. Affordable housing and private equity ownership may be hot button issues. I have a sense of it, Matt, big, big time that it's going to be. Could add additional uncertainty for future regulatory tax implications. I didn't write this, but I don't think anything's ever actually going to happen to it. There's going to be a lot of conversations yeah. of Blackstone, or sorry, sorry, I'm going to say, I, I said it incorrect. I meant to say it incorrectly. BlackRock <laughs> buying up all the oh, housing, yeah. even though BlackRock doesn't buy any housing. Yeah, yeah. And people don't understand what they're talking about. Um, yeah. They don't understand housing, they don't understand economics or business, but they're going to regulate it. And but it's going to sound really great politically. You know, um, I think institutional investing in in single family homes has has gone down relatively. Um, but investment in in single family homes, investor homes, I there was an article I read recently has been going up. I think it's because of interest rates. And well, you know, I'll rent this house out or something like that. And 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 there that may be kind of a I don't know I. I I feel like that could be part of it is is not these are mom and pop people or, or single, you know, or, or an individual person that is maybe renting out their bigger house instead of downsizing, they're renting out part of it or, or I don't. Yeah, I just I feel like there there are more homes taking on this investment function for people. There's a lar- there's a larger discussion of ADUs and ex- yeah. uh, you know accessory dwelling yeah. units. And but uh, ultimately, it is not the institutional investors because they in, they tend to invest when rent growth is at the top and they see yep. it down go down below so it they're not buying up neighborhoods though well yeah and it is obviously the issue it's been blown way out of proportion i mean blackstone is not buying up all the single family homes like our institutional investors buying up a decent amount of homes in real estate like yes mm-hmm. but like Specifically, single-family homes. I mean, it, it, it's not enough. It's not moving markets. The way if people are. if one company bought up the entire uh, an entire residential block or an entire neighborhood of single-family homes, I would I would start to worry. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. I mean, uh, well, I mean, and what's wrong with that? Well, I don't. Uh, yeah, it's probably that's probably. I mean, what is it? Communist well, to me to think. But I think of I well, think of well, it in what's the same way between build to rent, you know, buying out a subdivision. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I think of it as the same in the same way as as this lawsuits against RealPage. If they had local control over the price of housing in a large enough area, one entity. And I'm not even talking about RealPage as the purveyor of this information. I'm more talking about like a yeah. single landlord being able to fix prices over like uh, a huge block, not, even more than a block, but you know, uh, this large neighborhood area, this section of town um, that does seem a little anti-competitive yeah okay but okay so he's keeping the rent high like yeah and so but how is he is he are they raising a barrier to entry can no one else build housing well because this is my imaginary scenario okay. he owns all of the housing so it's like a um um what's the, the movie about the train um that's like an allegory to oh yeah uh um, yeah, yeah yeah the um Frozen train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's called. <laughs> bullet train. What is it? Ice something. Ice train. Um, well, yes, it's a bullet train in the ice. Yeah. Um, look it up real quick so we can talk about. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me put. Let me make a um, note. It's like something weird. Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Okay. Yeah. So it's like that movie Snowpiercer where it's like the whole, you know, the world's frozen and it's just this train. And so it's like, you're kind of on a vac, it's like in a vacuum. It's like, there's nowhere else to go. And mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. like they own, if in your world, they own yeah. you hear the, that? the snowpiercing train. That the snowpiercer. I think it's, I think it's coming along. Uh, but I, you know, that, that is, it's all made up in, in like, I can already, even as I come up with that hypothetical, I can think of kind of arguments. Well, why don't people just live somewhere else? And if someone owned a, owned a bunch, it, 
if they did own every single piece of housing in a neighborhood and they jacked up rents, people would move out. And so there's well, always someone a- would build someone would be like, wow, they're getting all this rent, but I can build something. They're charging two thousand dollars. I'm going to charge eighteen hundred dollars and undercut their business. Yeah, I'll go right to the borderline, and then people and move who in. Who isn't going to go to the eighteen hundred dollars? Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and, and that's how, I mean that's how it's supposed to work. And again, it's not like an industry where it's like no one else can build houses now. You could argue that if the you know, municipality is not issuing any permits and mm-hmm. allowing any building, yeah, that, yeah. That, could be, that could be the case. Um, okay, just to, just to wrap this up, um, and maybe we really kind of have well, just lost a couple of geopolitical. No one's coming here for geopolitical information, mm-hmm. Matt. Um, but a further <laughs> deterioration. This is like, you all know this, a further deterioration of relations in the Middle East or Ukraine could lead to broader regional conflicts of most affecting energy prices, which... Um, Really pay attention to energy prices, inflation, and market volatility. A resol- alternatively, a resolution of hostilities in the Middle East or Ukraine. Yeah, um, that could be um, a positive sign for markets and inflation. I I, I was thinking a little bit about inflation and core inflation and the difference in stuff and how um, energy prices look like they would be. Th- they're almost like set to increase um, because gas prices have been so low lately, and it feels like nowhere to go. You heard this whole Suez Canal with the BP and BP can't get their tankers through. I think also Suez Canal is going to be. They're, they're gonna sh- they're shipping everything around the Horn of Africa. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's a big task force. It was the Houthi rebels or you know taking yep. over um, tankers and cargo ships and whatnot. Um, but I mean, like we we have a mod. We have we have not just an analog. We have an example of the Suez. Like, do we all remember when the, the when the ship was stuck in the canal? Yeah. Oh, we already man. shut it down once. That that uh, that just the freaking <sighs> yeah. The 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 boat in the canal. You know, created all this. Great, I mean, that was like blamed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Legitimately blamed for. And so, like, we're basically price. doing the same thing, but now we've got these like big super tankers. Yeah. Which we. Well, either either way, even apart from I'm that, not just a Suez Canal expert. Gas prices have been so low lately. Yeah. And the fact that, that like you know it seems like they had nowhere else to go but up. Yeah. Um, and that's probably going to have a big effect on people's perception of inflation, and um, at the very least, you know, gas prices. That's going to affect real inflation and core inflation right now is about four percent compared to the around three percent for um you know all items inflation so it may feel worse than it is I don't yeah know. yeah well matt let's we've got some there we're like we we've got some reports um to, to cover yeah. um i'll go as quick as i go. can no but no let's no let's do it um let's do it um, with grace and yeah, style. Yeah. So where would you like to begin? So we can start here at the Marcus and Millichap. Um, it's it's a little bit broader than a couple of the other outlooks that I have here recorded. All right. Yeah. So this video, it's a nice, um, a nice overview, pretty quick covers, uh, covers industrial and retail and office but um but i'm most interested obviously in multifamily also gives a uh, a lot of economic context um basically beginning with their assumption that their baseline scenario is a soft landing and a soft landing which also includes um, a downturn. So they're saying that job creation is going to trend lower towards historical average and wage growth is going to slow. Um, it, but he does think that there's going to be increasing improvements in consumer sentiment, which I disagree with. I think uh, their voices will be loud uh, and the, those voices will be saying that the economy is bad. Um, but you can look at the numbers if you want to find, find out. The but truth. next year, not. But it seems like today, a lot of those, uh, the naysayers are less quiet. 
Yeah, I know. And they're just going to get like they're going to get louder and louder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and he also talked about home buying still still going to be more expensive than renting. So that's going to support the apartment market. And for multifamily specifically, they have apartment demand. So net absorption will be three hundred and ninety thousand units, but they are expecting four hundred eighty thousand in new apartment supply. So vacancy expected to be six percent and rent growth at one point five percent for the year. 1.5. Now, just in context, uh, Marcus and Millichap's pro- uh, projection for rent growth for 2023 was 3%. So, yeah, missed that by a little bit. So, so more modest. I, I think that they're trying to be a little bit more modest and yeah. um, acknowledging that, like, look, we're not going to see um, gangbuster year by mm-hmm. any means. Um, we're seeing below average growth, half of what is typically seen on average. So, Marcus and Millichap's 1.5. CoStar is 3.7. And uh, and ultimately- CoStar is three point seven. Yeah. Yep. And then um, the, we're going to be fast forwarding here, but just since we're talking about these rent growth projections, Cushman and Wakefield. Is- let's go in. Let's dive into Cushman and Wakefield let's because just dive right um, to C and W. Yeah. Their their ultimate story in that just to finish up on on the Marcus and Millichap is uh, is the economy is going to be a little bit slower, and CRE markets may follow that, um, th- almost suggesting that there may be a bigger opportunity for for investors. Writing that want to you know time it perfectly, time this downturn and get that pricing right. We covered Cushman and Wakefield, yeah, last week, um, but there was a piece that we did not cover in their um, in their reporting and forecasting on the multifamily uh, on the multifamily market specifically, and they mentioned in their in their forecast that new supply is expected to crest in early 2024. That's that's fine. They are expecting 400,000 new units. Far, uh, far less than 480, 000. but still there, uh, the real, uh, the, the real headline here is their expectation for rent growth to 2024 rent growth, uh, according to the projections from Cushman and Wakefield is negative two and a half percent. Well, um, th- I think that's striking no matter how you put it, no matter what your, uh, what your assumptions are for recession or not recession, uh, a negative two and a half percent coming off a year that maybe a flat zero for rent growth is uh, is striking in that it's going to be outside a really huge if there's a recession and it's not going to be huge i feel like that negative two and a half is like well only if there's a huge recession mm. i wonder if um there are, and i don't think this is the case um you know cushman wakefield i think has at least their like stock price mm-hmm. they i think they have, they, have, they have more debt than most other brokerage firms at national the national level and their stock prices not been doing that great. I'm just always curious if one's projections on the economy at all reflect yeah. what's going on in their own oh, economy. Oh, it has to, for sure. Of like, man, our volumes are down. We're not making as much money. Mm-hmm. Things aren't going well for us. The economy's not good. Yeah, like, it yeah. Doesn't feel doesn't feel good. Yeah. I, I wonder if that seeps in. Now, obviously, you know, if from their economists, which they are, and, you know, trying to be objective, which I believe that they are certainly looking at being, um, and also, you know, compared to typically, they're going to say there's going to be more rent growth because they're trying to sell apartments. Mm-hmm. I think it all kind of makes sense that they may even give a kind of a realistic assumption, um, maybe with even a slightly more negative um, yeah. hint than they uh, typically would. Um, it's it's and they give that negative two and a half number in their report. And they kind of just keep going after it. They don't dwell on they it just, at all. In any other report, that, that would be a he- kind of a headline. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting just to note from, from Cushman and Wakefield. Now, the, uh, CBRE, their predictions, now I have them written down here somewhere, um, 
similar economic predictions, but for their um, for their apartment predictions, their rent growth is 1.2%. So we have just to just to review, Marcus and Millichap they predict 1.5%. CoStar predicts 3.7%. Cushman and Wakefield predict negative two and a half, and CBRE predicts 1.2% rent growth in 2024. Um, and uh, Matt Bosnagel predicts. Two percent rent growth in 2024. Two percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not probably not an average of all those all those figures, but it's well within. And this really doesn't illustrate they're not really converging on uh, on a common figure. It may be around one to two is, it, but like one person says negative yeah. two and a half, and another person, uh, uh, you know, another person says three point seven. That's a big gap. Yeah, it's a big yeah, it's a big spread, um, especially when last year everyone was like on the same page of three percent yeah which was kind of like a yeah a little bit of a like a softball um but in cbre they they do converge so cbre has four hundred forty thousand new units expected and so they're all Uh, kind of falling in there and they're all predicting about 94 percent occupancy essentially um in that in that range and uh i think the key here is going to be like i said what is the economy going to do to all of these uh to all these predictions and and if if it's a downturn or if it's a severe recession or something something nastier um the uh the other forecast was part of a fannie mae um report now it wasn't a traditional report i just use it as a forecast they, they do have some expectations that they build there so i'm counting it as a forecast that we can include That's alongside cool. the other ones um but yeah that's about multi-family values not driven solely by rent growth and um, i was hoping that you could help kind of explain in general what these other factors are and or maybe kind of what they're getting at because yeah it's true multi or rent growth alone doesn't explain multifamily values but um they they set up this comparison of uh of multifamily rent and uh, I'm sorry, not multifamily rent, multifamily cap rates, and they compare it to inflation, and they show these. Uh, they show for a significant period of time there is negative real rates if you adjust for inflation. And my confusion here is that okay, yeah, if you if you take cap rates minus the inflation rate, sure, there's a point from you know from uh, May 2021 to February 2023 where real those cap rates were negative. If you subtract the inflation from the the nominal cap rate, but I feel like a lot of the people buying that at the at those low cap rates were buying because inflation, yeah, it makes things expensive, but it also kind of is associated with rent growth. So I don't know if that is a good counter argument or if these people were really chasing down and, and well, really in a fervor. Yeah, you know, the, the the difference is, you know, yeah, there was an incredible amount of rent growth at the time, which made up for the low cap rates. Now, in yeah, adjusting. So what they're doing is they're taking the cap rate at acquisition, and then yeah, like they're subtracting inflation. You know, just like we would look at like real interest rates, inflation adjusted interest rates. You know, the buyers of these assets are saying, well, now they would never say we're buying at a negative four percent cap rate, yeah. but they're saying, yeah, well, we can buy at a cap rate, or we don't really care as much about the cap rate because of all the growth that we're going to see because of not only the market growth, or we're going to do a value add plan. Um, but what what ended up 
that that did happen maybe in some cases they, mm. they got some really good growth but what happened in, in some other cases is that they saw a couple units were being rented for that you know huge rent increase 20 30 mm. percent mm-hmm. maybe a good chunk maybe maybe 30 40 maybe 50 percent of the units um but then the market started softening mm. and expenses went up considerably and then all of a okay. sudden they couldn't not just get rent any rent growth it was they were looking at rent declines yeah. they're looking at their you know renewals actually being you know less than you know well way less than their market rent and then their market mm-hmm. rent was less than some of their their renewals um so they kind of had an inverted like uh you know renewals yeah to yeah. lease spread um and again as expenses continued to rise all of a sudden really was flipped upside down and so whether you thought that you're going to get that growth Again, it's not like it was completely without um, basis or, or merit, but it's not a it's not a guarantee. Yeah. And um, so some people didn't get the rent growth, and so they are stuck at essentially kind of a negative okay. cap rate. I'm not just talking about you know negative leverage, positive leverage, but yeah. like and not in meaning that your cap rate is higher than your interest rate. But mm-hmm. I mean, man, this is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I that's what I was that's what I kind of got. That's how crazy of. things got. That's that's yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that's the peak greed right there. And that's what I was wondering. It's like the the people that got on the other side of this really, they saw the rent growth that was not guaranteed, but it seemed like the expense growth really was maybe guaranteed. Um now that leaves a lot of uh, leaves a lot of details uh, out of out of the picture there, but it it is in it is interesting to see how much for and how associated it was with uh, with interest rates too. I'm I'm sure that these low cap rates were also because financing was was super easy, um, super easy to get. But it's still we're still very low uh, if you're adjusting for inflation. Um, we're well below what the what what the real cap rate should be if you're going, you know, if you're comparing to historical averages. So I mean, the, I think the, apartments are the still money, pretty the, expensive. I mean, the money was free at the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, people were allowed to pay prices that um, didn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and now that the money costs something quite, costs quite a bit, it's just a different story. Yeah. And, and our lighting's a little bit better, Matt. Oh, um, I know. The yeah. Sun, the sun has gone down. That's why I was standing up there. It's golden hour. Nice. It's golden hour. <laughs> um, and so, their kind of closing comments, or or at least their forecasty, um, they make a move towards what might happen in the future, and they say that we believe multifamily property investment trends will see a longer hold period over the next few years since property price appreciation trends have been moderating and are expected to do so with interest rates say, staying higher for longer. Mm-hmm. They think that the ten year will stay above four point five through twenty twenty five. Oh, I'm sorry, not the. Yeah, they say that's the the ten year will remain above four point five through twenty twenty five, and if inflation will stay above the Fed's two percent target during that same time frame. So, so are they already wrong? Or are they just? It does seem like they may already be wrong now. Maybe things the may ten year is uh, below. You know below. what's interesting about some of these reports? They were written, know. you know, a quarter ago sometimes. I know, and uh, and things change quickly. It, they change quickly, and you know, if you're going to be writing predictions, I mean, that's just the you're, that's just what's going. Yeah, that's happen. why you're I'm going to get it all. Right. I am. I very much though respect the the people that don't um, beat around the bush. They're they're willing to give their number. This is what will happen. And that CBRE report had great things like these. This will happen, and this will happen. It was like, well, that's refreshing because uh, I'm. I would. I would hedge a little. Yeah, bit more. some bold. Yeah, I know. Being like, I don't really know. Some yeah. bold calls. Um, it's not a holiday or anything today on this Tuesday. Three point nine three one. Um. On the ten-year Treasury, I mean, but again, just looking at I me, mean, we we 
brushed 5%. Whoop, nope, don't go over that 5%, just right there. We don't want to get too crazy. Oh, wow, all the way down to 3.93, Matt. We're living wow. in a different world now. Again, it seems like so low. Basically, we're back to... Um, basically july of 2023 okay. which in july again it's like we're having this conversation everyone's like man the rates have come down so much all the deals are making sense mm -hmm. and the prices have come down so the deals probably are are making some more sense in some cases but not in all because it's not like back in july we were like man it's a great opportunity to buy i mean yeah. the, the entire time when the 10-year treasury was in this range the deals weren't out like the, the, the no the deals yeah, even when they were like three and a half to four, that was still. Yeah, that's yeah. what, the, and that's what, I mean, when did uh, we write our first report on loan maturities, Matt? That was in June. That was the first one, so June, so right around like a similar time period, and the analysis then was, look, like if interest rates stay the same, like interest rates are going to have to come down quite a bit from where they are today yeah. for it to work. And they may just stay as high as they are today. We weren't even saying that they're going to go up more. They're just like, they may stay, you know, as high as they are today. And yeah. today the, you know, the deals on the refinances don't really work. Yeah. But now, you know, again, you know, when things up with the 5%, then it was like, all right, it's just, we're, we're done. This yeah. is it. Now we're back to 3.9%. It feels a lot better. Um, and we're also going to keep going down, but we got a bumpy ride. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think that it's, uh, it's going to be hard to to make predictions on where on where things go. I uh, I like to think that uh, that it, people are a lot more people are ready to get a little bit more aggressive than they were last year, though. Um, yeah, I think I think so. I yeah, think again, what I was talking about, you're going to have to maybe go out on a limb a little bit and say. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's not going to look great this year or next year, but, you know, if we want to take advantage of the growth at with this price, mm -hmm. you know, if we want to wait till the growth happens, you're going to be paying for it, you're paying up for the growth. Yeah. So the returns are still not going to look attractive. And that's what what is kind of interesting about the Fannie Mae and the, and even really the Marcus and Millichap, these broad brush looks at CRE, if you kind of take the assumption of where everything is and what might happen in the economy, they're like, well, things could, I mean, if you look at it just at a glance, the property values are going to go down. CRE property values are going to go down. That may be the dominant story for the first half yeah. until, you know, until the fervor starts. Yeah. Yeah. We can only hope that the fervor starts the and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there to follow it. Like walk stumbling on, you know, on an ether binge, you know, buying multifamily or something. <laughs> That's right. You never know. Uh, Las funny. Vegas, crazy market. Anyway, so Matt, um, this is great. This is awesome. Looking at the crystal ball, trying to see yeah. through. I'm sure some more of these are going to pop up. Be looking out for our own publication of, you know, what we think is going to go on. I'm going to refine this a little bit. I want to talk to talk to you with about it matt though um mm -hmm. with all of our friends and listeners on the great report yeah wishing everybody um, who's listening has been a subscriber very happy holidays merry christmas happy new year boxing day oh, yeah kwanzaa. i don't know the right kwanzaa we'll be there maybe. before new year's though so we'll be on. okay yeah we've got we've got an episode next week that we're working on we never sleep um <laughs> matt there's never been a great report episode i mean have we ever missed a week I, I mean, I, I have, I, I, so, I no. have missed a couple of weeks. Addison has sat in yeah, my we've stead. Yeah, we've had a stable of. Uh, For how long? How many, what, do you know what episode this is? We need to have the episode count. No, um, maybe more than 120, maybe 120. Yeah, wow, that's good stuff. I think more. I think sounds about right. Yeah, more than a couple of years. We're in the hundreds. We're in the three-digit club. 
Everyone have a great time. Make sure you subscribe to the Great Capital YouTube channel if you are not. If you are an accredited investor, you want to see what Great Capital has coming up. We've got we're looking at some deals right now. Some equity deals really looking good. Um, some like just some solid real estate with some great returns, risk adjusted. It's like why would you do anything else? I, I don't know until you find the real deal that's going to. Anyway, there's there's all kinds of opportunities happening now that we're taking advantage of because of our unique positioning. And we're seeing a lot of interesting opportunities for 2024. Like I mentioned earlier, if you want to kind of get ahead of the rest of the game, go on over to greatcapitalllc.com, schedule a meeting with one of our team members. I'm either myself, Blake Peroni, Griffin Haddad. Um, let's have a conversation. Just start doing some planning for 2024. You can talk to us about what we're thinking about, how we're seeing in the market. And, um, and we're, we, just shoot, we shoot you straight. We're, we're going to tell you exactly what we're thinking about, how, what we're seeing, and if it's a good fit for us to work together um, or not. We're just going to learn a little about the market, um, do some good networking. So get in touch with us. Um, we are scheduling meetings kind of all through January to help you know folks plan for the coming year, 2024. Because like we've talked about, there's going to be some dislocations. There's going to be some opportunities, and we want to be in the best position to take advantage of it. Once the opportunities are here, you can't then decide, I want to get into it. It's going to have to be before. And again, it's, you know, we're buying the rumor, selling the news. Well, maybe we don't sell. Maybe we're going to buy the rumor and refinance the news. Oh, that's going good. To do. <laughs> um, because we want to work, have to buy at the good basis before the growth shows up. Yeah. And again, so it's kind of like the rumor that the growth is going to be there and the returns are going to be high. Um, so it's, it's going to look a little bit different. Some of our, our past deals where it's just been a more stable market, where it's going to be a little bit more tactical Again, we can't really time anything, but we can use our judgment based on relative values and do some good risk mitigation and make some good, good acquisitions. Yeah. Um, so get ready. And again, it's not, you, you want to get in the front of the line. You don't, you don't, once we have the deal, if you, it's the first time having a conversation with us, typically what happens is. Typically, very rarely, it's like the first call. Someone's like, yeah, I'm going to write you the check. Typically, it's like, we want to get to know you. We want to get to know you. You want to get to know us. Yep. Typically, like two calls, usually maybe three. Um, you know, some you know, emails exchanging information before someone's made a decision. That can take like a couple of weeks. You know, a lot of our deals, you know, yep. Matt, they go, they go within a week, two weeks, especially yep. like on the pref equity deals. We've got some larger groups that want to take the whole thing. Typically what we're trying to do is like reserve a slice for our um, smaller investors, small, mm -hmm. our awesome group of individuals yeah. that are investing, you know, 100, 400, you may be, may, maybe you know, half a million up to a million at a time, but you know, we're going to basically have a big chunk for our institutional investors. And then we're going to say, Hey, here's a chunk for all our individuals. Um, but it's going to be first come first serve. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's going to get the movement anyway, accredited investors, only, you know, 506C all day long. We hate you, the SEC, but um, we want we don't want to be on your bad side. Anyway, um, everyone have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. SEC does. They don't work during Christmas. We're good. Okay, all right. <laughs> See ya.